Hey, my name's Matt Kennedy, and this is the Steadfast Podcast. This podcast exists to use Bible study and theological teaching to encourage you to be steadfast in your faith. Thank you for taking time out of your day to check out the Steadfast Podcast. I hope today's episode is an encouragement to you. Today we are continuing our journey through the book of Luke to hear the story of Jesus. We'll start reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Quote, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. End quote. Zechariah was a priest of the division of Abijah. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, back to 1 Chronicles 24, you will see how there are 24 divisions of priests. They were established, and they came from the two sons of Aaron. Aaron as in the brother of Moses. One of those 24 divisions was Abijah. And we also know that Elizabeth came from the priestly family of Aaron as well. Now, pause for a second. Remember last time how he said Luke pays special attention to and he elevates the outsider? One of the examples we gave for that is, is women in a very Jewish world. Marking Elizabeth's priestly heritage is another example of this. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were advanced in years and unable to have kids. It just hadn't worked out for them. They were old enough to have probably given up on the idea of being parents years ago, if not decades ago. Life just hadn't turned out the way they expected it to. It hadn't turned out like the way they wanted it to. Yet they still walked with the Lord. It says they were both righteous, walked blamelessly before God. Do you know what that means? That means, very clearly, Elizabeth being barren was not a punishment from God. I don't know who's listening to this, but maybe you need to hear that. Just because situations in life do not go as you desire or even as you long for, just because that thing that you pray for over and over and over doesn't happen, that does not automatically mean God is punishing you for something. Look, it appears that Zechariah and Elizabeth had done everything right. They had done everything they were supposed to do, and yet this thing that they so wanted and had prayed for didn't happen. So it's not punishment. As part of Zechariah's priestly duties, he was supposed to burn incense in the temple of the Lord. It was his turn, as we will see in verse 8, which says, Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. End quote. We're going to pause there for a second. Did you catch how he was chosen? It says that Zechariah was chosen by Lot. Like, think of rolling the dice. So that may not be an accurate depiction. It still shows something that could be interpreted as a thing that happened by chance. But you see, that's not how God operates. That's not how God does things. It's not by chance. It's how he is sovereignly orchestrating things. And so he's working and how he's moving behind the scenes. John Piper has this statement that I just really love. He says, quote, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them, end quote. 
Isn't that incredible? God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. And so for those who may not be mathematicians, 10,000 minus three is 9,997 things that you know nothing about. And that's what Zechariah is finding himself in right now. He's in one of those 9,997 things that he doesn't know that God is moving sovereignly, graciously in a powerful way. But boy, is he about to find out. We're going to pick back up in verse 11, which says, quote, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What an incredible scene is this, right? Like Zechariah, he's old. Maybe he's done this before. He's going into the temple and suddenly, uh uh-oh, he's not alone. There is an angel there, an angel. And rightfully so, Zechariah is afraid. Angels are new territory for him. Like There's a lot of wild things that happen in the Bible, but keep in mind, this angel Gabriel delivering this message is the first message from the Lord in over 400 years. Like between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's called the 400 years of silence. That means that God is not speaking to his people in the same way that he had been speaking to them. So, with that in mind, I can confidently say that no other priest had ever experienced anything like this. God was up to something. After many, many years of not hearing from any prophet or word from the Lord, suddenly there's news. Suddenly there's about to be a miraculous birth, one who would have the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is a direct reference to the final verses in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, which reads as follows, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, end quote. Elijah was a super famous Old Testament prophet. He did so many amazing miracles. Then at the end of his ministry, we can find that in 2 Kings 2, verse 11, it says, end quote, And as they still went on and taught, behold, Chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, end quote. Making one of the most dramatic exits in human history, right? The Messiah was coming, and Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is telling Zechariah that his boy is going to be a prophet that announces the Messiah. Like, how amazing is that? 
Jews then were always looking for the Messiah. Everyone had an opinion on who he could be, when he might come. And now, as the scriptures were pointing to his arrival, Zechariah finds out that his son is going to be the one that announces the Messiah. His son is going to be one compared to Elijah. What an honor, right? He's got to be like so incredibly pumped or skeptical. Definitely one of the two. Either he's pumped or he's skeptical. And verse 18, quote, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. End quote. It's a little wild to think about. Zechariah doing the priestly stuff, an angel from God. And he's got questions. Even though no one has ever seen anything like this or experienced anything like this, at least not in his day, he's not so sure. For an I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years, which is probably a polite way of saying, and she's old too. See, Zechariah responds to a word from God with a lack of faith. That's what it boils down to. We see how Gabriel takes Zechariah's response. He's not pleased with Zechariah's lack of faith. And he's got a little bit of like, do you know who I am? Energy about him. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So previously, Gabriel was telling Zechariah his prayers were heard that God is about to do something amazing in his life. Yet in this moment, there were a very particular set of circumstances in Zechariah's life that were speaking louder than this message. When is it hardest for you to believe God? Like, When is it hardest for you as you're opening up the Word of God and you're seeing what God has said? When is it hardest for you to be like, "Mm, you know, I I just don't know. I don't know if I should trust what he says because it doesn't seem like I am getting what I want the way that I want. See, I think it's hardest for us to believe God when our circumstances speak louder than the Word of God in our life. We look at situations and think, what can I do here? Instead of, what could an all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly good and loving God do? I fear we are so prone to allowing storms and challenges in our life to tell us what God can and can't do, or what God will or won't do. See, what Zachariah failed to do here is something we all fail to do. And that is to trust the word of the Lord over everything else. We may not have angels visiting us, but we have his word, which is good and it is right and it is trustworthy. So what I I want you to take away from this moment is that when you are in those storms or those situations, when you are looking at circumstances and you are, are doubting what God has said, you are letting the storm tell you what God is like. I want you to remember, or at least take a moment and pause and think to what the Word says about God, to remind yourself that says, no, the Word promises that I am loved by God, that in Christ, I am a beloved child of God. So I know that if my God loves me and that He has promised to never forsake me, 
And his word says that God is working all things for the good of those who love him. That, you know, I may not be able to see the good. I may not always be able to understand the good. But if I know that he loves me the way that his word says that he loves me, and if I know that he is faithful to me the way that his word says that he's faithful to me, then I can go through the storm and not let the storm tell me what he is like, but let the word of God inform me about what my God is like, how he feels about me, and what the future will hold. All right, we're going to keep moving on to verse 24. It says, in quote, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. End quote. Of course, the words of Gabriel turned out to be true. The word coming from the Lord is always true. Yes, Gabriel spoke the words, but he was delivering a word from the Lord. God calls us to believe, to trust, even when it doesn't make sense. Remember, guys, we are not called to understand what God is doing. We're just called to trust Him. Remember, the hands that sovereignly move in our life are nail-scarred. They are good, and they are trustworthy. Now, the angel Gabriel was not done making visits. Verse 26, quote, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. end quote. So Gabriel's first stop was visiting Zechariah in the temple. Now he's visiting Mary in a city called Nazareth. Mary was a virgin and was one day going to marry a man named Joseph, but that day had not yet come. Gabriel comes out of nowhere to deliver such wonderful news. He says Mary is favored by God, that God is with her. I think we talk about God's love, and rightfully so, so much that it can become background noise. But the fact that you are loved by the creator of the universe is always going to be big news. It is worth us saying over and over and over again. Mary is hearing that the eternal God of the universe favors her. Gabriel is announcing the one that God has promised, the one the entire Old Testament has been leading to, the one promised to save his people. It is time. He is here. Look, this is a day that many thought the Lord had turned his face away from his people. But this declaration from Gabriel to Mary is proof that is not true. He has always been with his people. So we've seen Zachariah's response already. The priest Zachariah, the man who has spent his whole life serving God. Now we're going to see the response to a miraculous angelic proclamation from a young lady. I mean, fact is, there's a good chance Mary was still a teenager when this happened. Verse 34, quote, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God, 
And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. End quote. Y'all, there is, there's so much in here. You know, in verse 34, it sounds like Mary's question is very similar to Zechariah, but getting a very different response. But it is a little bit different, and Gabriel's response to it shows us how really different it is. She's not asking, as Zechariah did, how to know if it's true. Zechariah asked, how shall I know this? She's asking how it's going to happen. How will this be? Mary believes the angel. She just wants to know how the plan is going to unfold. She believes, she trusts, she surrendered to the word and call from the Lord, let it be to me, she says. Now, as a little side note here, I want us to understand something. The angel tells Mary how it's going to happen. It's going to be a move from the Holy Spirit. Gabriel said, quote, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, end quote. Now, as a side note, let's remember in our introduction episode, we said that there are 322 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. What the angel is saying here is that one of those 322, he's confirming it's being fulfilled in this moment. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 7:14. quote, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. See, Isaiah surely didn't realize this would be fulfilled by the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. It is through this that the Savior would be fully God and fully man. It is through this that he would be the Savior that we needed. Then Gabriel gives her a beautiful statement of faith. He says, For nothing will be impossible with God, for nothing will be impossible with God. Not even the salvation of a sinful human race. Not even the fact that, as Ephesians 2 says, that we are dead in our trespasses of sin. Not even in the fact that it is God who is going to use this Mary to bring forth a son who is going to live a sinless life, who is going to die in the place of sinners, and through him is going to bring peace with God. It occurs to me as I am recording this podcast right now that in the last episode, we talked about how Mary was almost definitely a big source for Luke as he composed this account. So can you imagine Luke and Mary sitting down there and Mary telling him this part of the story, the glow that must have been on her face as she told of the miraculous power that God had demonstrated in her life as she recalled the words of this angel who says, O favored one, the Lord is with you, who says that you have found favor with God, that you're going to have a son and you're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the most high. He's going to have the throne of his father, David. He will reign forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Can you imagine as she is telling this story to Luke, just this absolute tidal wave of emotion she must be feeling. It's pretty incredible, and it's a good reminder that these are real people that we're reading about. These are real people with real lives, real fears, real goals, real loves. They're real. So as I close here today, I want to ask you some application questions to kind of chew on over the course of your day. Here's the first question. What is one area of life that you need to remind yourself that nothing will be impossible with God. In other words, where do you need to trust what God's word has said? Where do you need to trust God's faithful hand in your life? In relationships, 
in your job, with your health? What is it? What is the one area of life that you most need to remind yourself that nothing will be impossible with God? The second question is, what can we learn from Mary's response? As a refresher, she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. End quote. Y'all, that's a deep level of trust in God's plan. What can you learn from that today? So our two questions. What is one area of life you need to remind yourself that nothing will be impossible with God? And what can we learn from Mary's response? Thanks for listening to the Steadfast Podcast. I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul wrote this, quote, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, end quote. So in light of biblical truth, let us be steadfast, immovable. Let us remember that through Jesus, not one labor is in vain, not one trial is in vain, not one effort in all of our lives is in vain. Because he gives purpose. And that purpose rings through eternity. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, if you've got questions you would like answered, you can email me at matt at steadfastpodcast.com.